Hey guys, this is Francis, and welcome to As You Wish, where we explore one line from one verse of the book, Vashishta's Yoga. It's going to be an exciting ride. Here we go. So here we go. We're already on part one, verses four, five, and six. And we haven't really talked so much about the story that's happening throughout this book, the Yoga Vashishta, yet. But what came up for me for this verse was a couple of things. That kids have the right to feel what they're feeling. We can't protect them from everything. And every day we have a choice to either choose fear or choose faith. I'll talk a little bit more about this as we go, but just to back up a little bit, within this book, the Yoga Vashishta, where we are so far in the beginning of the book still relatively, um, is that what has happened up to this point has just been laying out the foundation for the setting, for the idea that this book is meant to be sort of a broad, a broad um, base that we can learn from. And um, at this point, in the book, we are just beginning to meet the main character of the book, one of them, Rama. And he is a teenage boy. He is the son of a king. So he's a prince. And at this point, he's just returned from a tour of the whole country from the Himalayas downwards, along with his brothers. And everybody's happy that he's returned. And they sort of just get uh, involved in the goings about of their day. And his dad has realized that, you know, gosh, there's something up. There's something not quite um, as it should be uh, with Rama. And he asks him point blank. Uh, he says, beloved son, what is worrying you? And Rama politely replies, nothing, father. And he remains silent. So some people would say this is normal teenage behavior. So that's actually what this brought up for me. And I wonder, you know, if you have teens or you know people with teens, um, that the processes that they go through. So this sent me down on a road uh, to explore a little bit like regular teenage behavior. So the verse, by the way, that, uh, that I've decided to explore from the line from this verse rather is that exactly. So um, I'll just read the line specifically again. So Dasaratha is Rama's father. And this is the line from our verse that we'll explore. When Dasaratha asked Rama, beloved son, what is worrying you? Rama politely replied, nothing father, and remained silent. Um, this verse goes on to talk about how, you know, gosh, you know, pretty much if you if you suspect something's up, then something's probably up with your kid. You, you kind of have a sense about these things. And also, no one really goes through, you know, changes like, you know, anger, despondency, joy. Um, these kind of things don't really come up without a cause. So the thing is, we don't really know at this point what the cause is. But we do know that pretty soon after Dasaratha asks Rama this question, then a sage uh, arrives at the at their home and um, he's overjoyed, like the father's overjoyed. Oh, wow, you know, great sage. I'm, I'm so great, grateful that you're here <laughs> just in time. And um, so, of course, because I think, you know, in my perception, 
how timely is that? He could potentially save his son from some suffering, uh, maybe. So uh, it brought me down a couple of roads and and, and within child development, what has been really useful and helpful, um, there are a couple resources that I remember feeling like so connected to as my kids were smaller, especially. And you know, just keeping in mind that Rama in this stage of the book is in throughout the entire book is is actually a teenager. And I have teenagers. So um, to just take a moment and just think about, gosh, what are they going through? They are going through this kind of phase where they they want to be adults, but they're not quite there yet. So they kind of still need us. They kind of don't want us, but they kind of still need us. So it brought me to um, this article. It was uh, on a website called childmind.org. And this article, it was entitled, Help, My Teen Stopped Talking to Me. Subtitled, Tips for Staying in Touch While Letting Kids Separate in a Healthy Way. So um, one of the things that they said in this article was that teens need their own space, but they also need their parents. In fact, most teens say they want to be closer to their parents, but don't know how to do that. So while your kid is doing the work of separating, you need to do the work of carefully bridging the gap. So I thought that was pretty profound. Uh, It reminded me of a story of when my little one was so tiny uh, and wanted to learn how to swim. And they were really too small to be able to do it. You know, that point when, you know, you're in them water with your little one and you're kind of holding them and they can't touch the bottom. You're, you're standing there flat on your feet and the water's maybe up to your waist and your little one is so small that they, they really can't touch the bottom. But they really want to do it themselves. They, you know, I do it, I do it. They're in that phase. And so I remember being in the water with my littlest at, at, a, at this point, and they couldn't touch, and they wanted the, the bottom. They wanted to swim on their self on their own, and I knew they needed this. This is developmentally, this is what they need to do. So I'm there holding my little one, and uh, you know they're they're like, no, I want to do it. I want to do it. I do it. I do it. But they're so small that they couldn't touch. So you know, I, I would kind of let them try and they would and they you know, were happy to do that. So they would paddle, 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 maybe get like two or three feet away from me. And then they would yell, help. <laughs> and then I would, of course, be right there and bring my hands back under them to hold them up. And then they would, again, kind of want to wriggle free and splash and kind of swim on their own. And they would get about three feet away and they would, again, yell, help. And I would be right there. And after a few times of this, we decided, you know, or I was thinking, gosh, we better have a different code word for help mom because, you know, the, the lifeguard is right there and going to be wondering, what, what is this adult like not helping their kid? Like, why does this kid keep yelling help? So I said, you know what, let's yell mom instead. And so that's what we did. So every, you know, a little while they would splash paddle, 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 you know, need my help and then yell mom. And then I would be right there. So, you know, this was a stage when they needed to, branch out on their own, but they still needed some help. And I kind of feel like that was when they were tiny. And now, you know, in the teenage years, this is kind of like a place where they, again, they want more independence, they want more freedom. And, you know, so that's kind of interesting to kind of see the phases that that kids go through. It reminded me of a few things. And I went down a couple of roads with these ones. I explored this book called The Magic Years. Fabulous book. Really developmentally exploring uh, the younger years, like maybe from about birth till about five. And it's called The Magic Years because it, it, it talks about 
these years of, of when the kids are little, their perception of the world is really very different. And it really has a very magical quality to it. It's kind of a beautiful time, really. But there's a section in the book called Right to Feel. And I was thinking about this, you know, when a teenager, there's something up and, you know, we just want to protect our kids. We don't want them to feel that pain. We don't want them to have to suffer. We, we try to protect them as much as we can, you know, but then I was thinking as, as a kid is growing, like they have the right to their feelings. It sent me down a, a couple of roads, but this was one of them and this idea of the right to feel. So toward the end of this book, The Magic Years, which is a fabulous book, by the way, just I remember, you know, when I first got the book, I was on the treadmill. My, my little ones were, were pretty small at this point. And I just remember laughing out loud because the way that it's written, I just couldn't understand how this person, Selma Freiberg, could know like exactly what was going on. Like, how did you know my kid was doing this crazy, wacky thing? Because I thought no one <laughs> would know that. But somehow she, she put a finger right on exactly what was happening developmentally. And that was so comforting to know. So toward the end of the book, in this section called The Right to Feel, this section talks about how uh, Selma has a friend call her and is like, kind of like, what do I do? You know, Ernest died this morning. And Selma's like, well, wait a minute. You know, what, what are you talking about? Like, to let me give me more information. Who's Ernest? You know, like, what's happening? And so the friend let her know Ernest was their kid's hamster. And, and they didn't know what to do. Were they going to tell the kid? Were they not going to tell them? You know, their, their husband was going to swing by the pet store on the way home and, and get a, a, a replacement hamster. And, and they just didn't know quite how to handle the situation. They really kind of like didn't want, you know, didn't know what to do. And so Selma's uh, kind of words to her were like, well, you know, why don't you tell them that their hamster died? <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of get like the mom's point of view on this because we've had fish. Oh my God, the fish that we had. I just couldn't keep them alive. We had a fish tank at a certain point. The thing was the fish were doomed from the start because, you know, we want them at a school fair, a little goldfish, and we won these fish. So we didn't know what to do with them and we didn't have a fish tank or anything like that. So we went out and bought the fish tank at the pet store, got all the fixings, you know, did everything we thought we were supposed to do, put the fish in there. And then a couple of days later, the fish died. So what I learned was that these little goldfish from the, the fairs, a lot of times they're, they're kind of like the chances of them making it are pretty slim in the first place, you know, but we tried, you know, we did our best. And what I also learned was that you have to actually season a fish tank and, and get it to the right pH. And, you know, we just failed miserably at that one. So we went through this whole thing with fish and just, you know, I think we ended up getting some replacement fish and I, I kind of, I'm trying to remember what we did at the time, but I know we actually ended up with, we couldn't find fish that actually looked exactly like the ones we had lost. So we ended up with kind of different ones for a small period of time and we kind of cycled through them. Um, the fish that lasted the longest was the Placo fish. That's like the cleaner fish for the tank. And that became like my favorite fish because I kind of actually relate to the Placo fish. I kind of feel like I am like the human incarnation of the Placo fish who's like cleaning all the time a little bit here and there and just kind of like that's my constant <laughs> modus operandi so and he kind of lasted the longest time but the thing is you know Selma's viewpoint on this one was well you know why don't you tell tell your kid that your you know the pet died and the the mom was kind of like you know I I you know 
I don't know if I want to do that or not. I want to, how do I break the news to him gently? How do I spare him the pain of this whole experience? And I think Selma's point was, you know, they actually, it's a, it's an opportunity for them to learn and pets have that kind of built in a little bit. So their lifespans tend to be shorter than humans. So what do you do when, you know, it's kind of a preparation, I guess, and you, they get to learn a lot from from that process. So I thought that was kind of an inter- interesting thing. So when I read this uh, right to feel section in the magic years, it reminded me of a um, video I remember watching when the kids were tiny. Um, it was actually inspired by a book called Harold and the Purple Crayon, which is a fabulous book, by the way, um, just amazing. So little Harold and his little purple crayon the, the imagination that is involved in this, he basically, he draws, whatever he draws appears. Um, so this is a book by Crockett Johnson, um, Harold and the Purple Crayon, amazing book. And they came out with some videos that were inspired by the book. And one, uh, I love these, of course, because I love the book. And I remember at the time when my kids were tiny that I saw this video that was... Um, uh, Harold and the Purple Crayon, I Remember Goldie. This is the title of the video. And I just, the, in the first couple couple of seconds of the video after the introduction, you know, it starts off with, oh, Harold, you know, was a little worried about his goldfish. And then you look over at the goldfish in the, in the little fish bowl and he's floating at the top. And I thought, oh my God, no, you're, you know, th- you're going to just like kind of jump in with your goldfish died. And Harold, and the, you know, he looks like a little baby. He's tiny. And at that time, I just couldn't imagine like telling my kids, you know, um, that their, their pet had died. I just, it was a tricky moment. But so, you know, but I'm beginning to see Selma Freiberg's viewpoint on this. And my, the, my takeaway from from this was, you know, we can't protect our kids from everything and life is going to happen. So, you know, maybe pets are one way that they can kind of start to learn about life. You know, it just kind of brought me on a whole road of when my kids were small. And um, it brought me to another book, yet another book. Um, this book was entitled The Positive Dog. In, in this book, it's written by John Gordon. I used to read this little, it's little, it's little short segments. It's like, you know, a page or two. And what it is, is actually this little book, um, The Positive Dog. Um, it's about uh, two dogs, uh, Matt and Bubba. <laughs> and these two dogs, I believe they're in a shelter. And one of the dogs is kind of like young and, and kind of like, um, I think he's just kind of bummed out. And the other dog is kind of like an older dog and he's like super positive. So there's the positive dog. And, uh, you know, this, uh, I wanted to read this to you. This, um, there's a, uh, section in this book called fear or faith. So I'll read you this little excerpt and it says, fear holds us back from living the life we were born to live. It paralyzes us from taking positive actions and makes us bark at people who come to see us, turning them away. But thankfully, there is an antidote to fear. It is faith. And what do fear and faith have in common? Asked Bubba. So Bubba's asking uh, Matt the question. They both begin with the letter F, said Matt. True, said Bubba. But I'm talking deeper than that. Faith and fear Both believe in a future that hasn't happened. Yet, fear believes in a negative future. Faith believes in a positive future. 
So this just really inspired me a little bit. And it reminded me again of this, these, this book, these different couple of books and inspirations I've had from when my kids were smaller. And I just am grateful to be able to share those um, because they were inspired by this whole process of growth. And, you know, also the article, you know, about, well, what do you do when your kids kind of aren't talking to you so much as they used to? There's, it's kind of a, a transition period when they're, they're like your best buds and you're, you're hanging out and they share everything with you. And then they kind of go through this thing where, you know, they go through this period where they're, they're finding themselves and, and that's as it should be. You know, I keep telling my kids, we have this analogy of eagles and they're earning their eagle feathers as they grow so that they can go out and live their life and be happy, productive human beings out in the world. The story about the eagles is that eagles, when they make their nests, they make them out of like a thorns, but then they pad them with feathers. And as the little baby eagles grow, they gradually start to take away the feathers and the, the nest becomes a little less cushy, a little less soft. And my thing with my kids is every time you learn an adult task, like maybe you got to learn how to do the laundry, you got to learn how to do the dishes, you got to learn how to pick up after yourself, you're earning another eagle feather. Because eventually, the goal is, yes, that you're going to fly the nest, I'm going to be very sad, but that's just the way it goes. And, uh, you know, of course, I would love to have you here as long as possible. But at a certain point, you're going to need those skills to fly the nest and be a productive, happy, healthy human being. You know, a couple thoughts. So just to recap sort of the things that came up from this simple idea, the dad is asking the son, you know, what's up? And Rama as a regular teen says, nothing, father. And it, it's a stage of development, you know, where, where kids are going to change and there are many stages and they're going to keep changing and growing. And, and so my, my few takeaways from this three, to be specific, the kids have the right to feel what they're feeling. You know, they're going to, they're going to be ups and downs and maybe their goldfish is going to pass away and they're going to, you know, it's, it's their right to be able to kind of process those feelings about it. Number two, we can't protect them from everything as much as we want to try life is life and we will do our best and, and, you know, communicate and teach and, and, and have them, you know, be able to take a positive outlooks on things as they come up as best as we can. But ultimately we can't protect our kids from everything. Life happens. Uh, number three, every day we have a choice and the choice is either going to be fear or it's going to be faith. And if we can be positive and have faith that we're kind of looking forward to a positive future, I think that's a better way we can go about it. So um, I hope these musings have been uh, fun and uh, entertaining for you. And, you know, we're just continuing to explore. Thank you for going on the journey with me. Please feel free again to read the verses with me. We just did part one, verses four, five, and six. We'll continue on the next one. And um, just see what comes up. All right. Hope you're doing great and have a great rest of your day. Thanks. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of As You Wish. For more resources, go to my website, www.taylorfitwellness.com. And I hope you will find some helpful, useful things there to help you on your journey. Take care. Bye.